Today's daf is daf nun, page 50. Get ready for an incredible, incredible uh, daf ahead of us. And we are continuing on the theme of sometimes there were great tzaddikim that lived in poverty. That lived in, uh, that lived in tremendous poverty. And... We got onto this because we were discussing various nadarim that people make, various vows that people make when they say tafshul, this type of tafshul, is it a thick, is it thicker, is it thinner? And once we were talking about, you know, hot cereal, we got into various foods that are eaten by poor people, and now we're thick in the middle of this sugya of what, of our, some, of what some of our great tzaddikim went through when they had poverty in their lives. We're going to have a few famous gemaras, some famous stories on today's daf, the first story is going to be one that we're familiar with from Meseches Ksubis. A few changes in, in how the Gemara writes it down, but primarily we're going to be dealing with the, uh, and Nun Aleph is majority, the story of Rabbi Akiva. Okay, the story of, of the, the, the well-known story of Rabbi Akiva. Here we go. We're up to Rabbi Akiva Iskadishle, which is on the third line from the top of Nun Amar Aleph. Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva is Kadishle Barte Debar Kalba Savua. Rabbi Akiva married the daughter of Kalba of Bar Kalba Savua. Kalba Savua. The word Kalba is a dog. Savua means satisfied. He was he was given this name because he was so generous. He's a very very generous man. One of the wealthiest in Eretz Yisrael. And there was so much food to go around that even when people would use an expression of I'm as hungry as a dog. There was never a shortage of food. You walked out stuffed like a turkey. Right? Bar Kalba Sevua. Rabbi Kiva married Kalba Sevua's daughter. Shama Kalba Sevua heard that his daughter was engaged to Rabbi Akiva again, who knew nothing. She proposed, his daughter Rachel proposed to Rabbi Akiva by telling him if he goes to Yeshiva, she'll marry him. And if he agrees, listen to what happens. Adra Hanabi called Nikhsei. As any, I shouldn't say any loving father, but as a loving father may do to whip his daughter into shape, give her some sense, he said to her, I am prohibiting you from ever benefiting from my property. How dare you, how foolish of you to marry somebody who has no money, who has no background, who doesn't know the olive bays, who has no yichus, he was a descendant of converts, and the Kabbalah Tzavuah came from this whole, you know, uh, the, this lineage, the Yichus of all the greatest people. He says to his daughter, Dubisma Sugar, what are you nuts? What are you doing? And because he loved her, he said, You will not benefit from my property. I'm in a vow. You cannot get benefit from my property at all. But his sole purpose was to try to prevent the marriage, or once they're married, to get her to leave. He was genuinely concerned about her. Azla v'insiva lay, so she went and married him. Bivista, in the season, referring to the winter, it was very cold. Now, why, why does it matter if they got married in the winter? The Gemara is going to tell us, Havaganu beitivna, in the winter, they used to sleep on straw, pretty much in a barn. Okay? That's all they had. This girl is coming from a mansion 
with everything going for her in her life, she sees this fellow who, to everybody else, is like, what is your deal? You snapped. You snapped, they tell her. Rachel, you snapped. You're crazy. And she lives out with him in the cold, sleeping on straw. And Rabbi Akiva would remove the straw min mazia from her braids. That's, that's what they had. And that's how he would care for her. He'd, you know, in the morning, her, her, her hair would be full of straw. She didn't know how to deal with it. It's coming from this wealthy place. You know, what does she know? Right? And he would, he would remove the, the straw from her hair. Omar Law and Rabbi Akiva would promise her, if, it was, if I was capable, I would give you a tiara that was a Jerusalem of gold. Yerushalayim Shel Zahav. He was telling her, I don't have anything physical to give you. If I did, I would give you the world. I'd give you everything. But I, I, I just can't. She knew he couldn't when she married him. He, he was looking like a regular person. And the Kakari, he called out Abava from the outside. So he was outside the house. And Eliyahu not called out. Omar Lahu and he said, Please, I need some straw. I'm so poor. I don't even have straw. My wife just gave birth. And I don't have anything for her to lay down on. Now, why did Eliyahu do this? Because as we know from the, the famous essay that was written about the, the fellow who was sad that he had no shoes until he met someone who had no feet. Eliyahu Navi was trying to give them chizuk when they were going through this difficult time by saying, at least you have straw. I come from a place, I don't even have straw for my wife who needs to lay down. She push it, she simply has nothing to lie down on. Amala Rebekiva, the insane Rebekiva, got some chizik, got some encouragement. He says to his wife, Chazi Gavra, see, there's a person that doesn't even have straw. Look how grateful we need to be that we have straw. That was, you know, this is incredible. Whenever we hear about Rabbi Akiva, he's the most positive person. Now, with his wife, Later on, when he's already the famous Tana Rabbi Akiva, when they're walking through the ruins of Yerushalayim and they see the fox and everybody's crying, Rabbi Akiva's smiling. He says he sees the, the prophecy coming to fruition. Rabbi Akiva had an incredible eye in Taif, a positive eye. So he looks at his wife and he says, oh, Baruch Hashem, this guy, look, we've got to be grateful for whatever we have. Right? Who's wealthy? Somebody... Who's not looking around at what everybody else has. You notice the good that you have. They say, I, I saw one of the, in the Svarim, Ashir, wealth, is spelled in Hebrew, Ayin, Shin, Yud, Resh. What's Ayin, Shin, Yud, Resh? Ashir, wealth. Ayin is a Nayim, the eyes. Shinayim, Shin, the Shinayim is the teeth. Yud is for Yadayim, the hands. Raglayim are your feet. A person could feel wealthy just by having your body functioning. Your eyes work, Baruch Hashem. The eyes work, we're able to see. Our teeth are able to bite the food, to be able to allow our digestive system to process it. 
our hands work, our legs work. A person, you could feel wealthy by, by noticing what to other people are, uh, you know, you, you might look at a small thing. It's not small. It's a big deal to be able to walk and talk and, and bite and see. It's nishta push the thing. So Rebekim was focusing on the, the goodness that he had as opposed to, you know, everybody else around him who, had, who probably had so much more. Omer Lehi, wife says to him, Zil Havabay Rav, you got to be in yeshiva. That was our agreement. That was our deal. Rabbi Kiva went to learn in the yeshivas of Rebbe Yezer and Rabbi Yeshua. And when the twelve years are up, famously, what happened? He came back home. Shama, he heard as he was getting near the house. This is incredible. I find this fascinating. We're calling this neighbor a Russia, a wicked neighbor, said to his wife. And the reason why I find this fascinating is because I really, I mean, I. We should realize this neighbor probably had great intentions. Very often, wickedness, rishus, comes from people who have wonderful intentions. And the neighbor said to the wife, Shapir, uh, the, the wicked neighbor says, Shapir uh, You know, what your father did was right. By pressuring you to leave this husband and by cutting you off from his estate, he did the right thing. First of all, you married down, as they say. You married down. You married a husband who doesn't come close to the society, background, financial standing that you come from. And furthermore, you marry him. He stays home. Some of the Mepharshim explained he was home with her for a year. After a year, he went off to learn yeshiva. He leaves the house. For 12 years he leaves you. You marry down, now he leaves you in Aguna. He doesn't even stay with you. What are you doing? Amrulay, she says, and Rebbe Kiva's hearing this. Amrulay, his wife says, if it was up to me, if my husband would listen to me, he would stay in yeshiva for 12 more years. Amar, Rebbe Kiva said to himself, she just gave me permission. I'm going right back. He didn't even walk into the house. Reb Chaim Shmuel famously, when he taught this Gemara, told his Talmidim, this is a fact in life. The reason why Rebbe Kiva did not walk into the house is a famous teaching, is because 12 plus 12 is different than 24. When you work on anything, specifically Torah, Beretzifus, Straight, you cannot compare a half hour of learning and then a half hour of learning to an hour of learning straight. When you do something, when you lock in and there's no gap, there's no break, you're going to accomplish so much more with your spirituality. Therefore, Rabbi Kiva didn't even walk into the house. He didn't want it to be 12 years of learning and 12 years of learning because then he'd be giving up of 24 straight years of learning, which he still had the opportunity to, to, to grab onto as long as he had his wife's permission. So Hadarazi Razi went right back to Yeshiva. Havitarti Surei Shnei Achronaisa. He was there for 12 more years. Also, Ba'esrim Arba Afage Zugitamidi. 24 years are now up. He comes back with 24,000 pairs. How many students did he have? 48,000 students. 24,000 pairs of students after the 24 years. You could just imagine 
what his wife was going through for those 24 years with all her well-meaning neighbors laughing at her, snickering, trying to talk some sense into her head. And everybody hears this holy tzaddik is coming to town with 48,000 that fills up a stadium. Students. And what happens? His wife's also going out to greet him. That same wicked, well-meaning neighbor said to her, Where are you going? Where are you going? Now, this, you know, now Rabbi Akiva's up. Yeah? He's the one. Who, who are you to be, to, to be married to this great tzaddik? A tzaddik knows the nefesh of his behemoth. You know what she's saying? She says, I know my husband. This is not some hotshot who's coming with 48,000 students who's going to look at me like a random person. My husband knows good and well that everything in life Takes two, it, 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 it takes a community. It takes a partnership. He knows everything he has is because of what I sacrificed for him. I'm not worried at all. Now it's her, it's what we call, it's, it's showtime for her. The past 24 years of all the suffering she's been through from all these people, yeah, all of a sudden, this is, she, she's going to show them. Sometimes difficult things take a long time. Al-Sasla she started coming towards the thousands of people. So the, the 48,000 students there was Rabbi Akiva. See some lady just like walking through the crowd. They're like, lady, where are you going? What are you doing? They don't know who she is. What are you doing? <laughs> okay. And what happens? Like she said, a tzaddik knows nefesh behemtai. And Omar Lahain, Rabbi Akiva noticed her and he said to them, Hevra, out of her way. Hanichula. Don't, you, don't go, <laughs> you get out of her way. Don't tell her to get out of your way. You get out of her way. Everything that I am and everything that you are, Shalahu is hers. Everything belongs to her. Shama Bar Kalba Savua. Bar Kalba heard the Sadiq came to town. And he wanted to remove his vow. Now there's big raid, big tyra, on why he wanted to remove the vow, what exactly it was. The simplest understanding is that really Kalba Savua only took the vow because he wanted to pressure his daughter to leave Rabbi Akiva. It, he didn't even mean it initially that he wanted this to be a long-term cut off from the estate. His whole purpose was to, because he loved her, to talk sense into her. But once she wasn't going to listen, he was happy, whether or not Rebbe Akiva really became a great gadol, to have her back. He just, sometimes you need to put your foot down to talk sense into your kids. So, also, that's, there's a few different approaches. We'll take this approach right now. Also, so he came and asked Rebbe Akiva to remove the vow. 
the ishtere ishtere, and ultimately it uh, ultimately it was removed. Okay, ultimately the, the vow was removed, and that's this is all part of the raid. The Torah, how Rabbi Akiva got rid of it. The Gemara and Ksubis really filled us in. The Gemara, there's a few different details here in Ksubis. In the Gemara and Ksubis, it goes through the questions Rabbi Akiva asked him to remove the vow. Right, Rabbi Akiva said to him, uh, you know, if you if you would have known that your son-in-law would be a Talmud Chacham. Would you have made the vow? You know, and he said, if my son-in-law would have even known one Pasuk in Taira, I wouldn't have said the vow. I just cared about my daughter. You know, if he would have known one Mishnah. And then, so ultimately, the vow, uh, the vow was removed. Fine. That is, uh, you know, one of the places where this, where, you know, at least some of the details of the story of the poverty of Rabbi Akiva and his wife, Rachel, is listed. Now, the Gemara says, Min shismile iyasa Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva ultimately became wealthy through from six ways. There's six ways that he got financial wealth. Number one, Menkal Basavua, his father-in-law ultimately offered him half of the entire of his entire estate. Okay? Min Ayala Desfina, and also from a the a ram in front of the boat. A ram in front of the boat. Um, apparently what this is is that there was some sort of uh, wooden ram that sailors would put on their ships and they kind of felt it helped the ship, whether it was, it was uh, physically or spiritually and whatever it was. But apparently he, he made some money uh, off of this. And the Gemara explains, the Kol Sfinosa of the Leiman Ene, every boat had the, had the uh, shape of a ram and Zimna Chada one time on Shuya Al Kaif Yama, there was a sailor that left this on the you know at the edge of the river at the edge of the ocean. Also, who Ashke and Rabbi Akiva came and he found it and it was something that had no sign. There was no simon and there was no sailor to return it to. So ultimately, he was permitted to keep it and uh, it was very very expensive. People would pay a lot of money for this. Okay, so we know he got money from Kabbal Sevua. We know that Hakadosh Baruch Hu sent him this, um, you know, this uh, shape of a ram that sailors cared a lot about. They would pay a lot of money for, and was very valuable. And he found that on the beach one day, Umin, Umin Gabza. There was another time where Rabbi Akiva found a treasure. He found a buried treasure. Yeah. Where did Rabbi Akiva find a buried treasure? The Zimna Chada one time Yahiv Arba Zuze Lesafunai. Rabbi Akiva gave four zuz lesafunai to those who uh, were ship captains, Omar Lahu, and he said to them, midam. I'm giving you this money, but in exchange for this money, I want you to, uh, I want you to bring me something. Okay. And they, all they found was a box near the water. They brought it to him, Omar Lahu, they said to him, Avid Marana Olay, here, take this box, use it. Ishtakach to have a male dinari, and it turned out that it was full of golden pieces. Okay. Now, why was this full of gold pieces? What happened with this treasure that these these ship captains who needed some money? Yeah, they needed some money. So you know they were ship. The reason why it's, it's we're talking about ship captains here is because they're never coming back, and it's not even worth it for them to come back. So there's no mitzvah of Hashabah Zavedah. There's, there's nobody to return. There's no way to find the owner. This is long gone from their mind. There's what we call yish. There's abandonment. So they needed money. He gave them money. And he said, you know, give me something back. 
in return, whatever it is, you know, it's this way they don't feel like takers, and they brought him the box. It was full of gold coins. Why? So the Gemara says, the Zimna Chada, one time, Tavas Finasa, Dimin Disrukisa, the Kule Iska Havamachis Bahu Gavia. What we're talking about here is, um, what do they call it? Like from like a shipwreck. You have ships that are carrying valuables, and the ship sunk, and everything that um, was was uh, on the boat had been put into this box. It was full of gold coins. And it just happened to be at that moment there. Bekiva asked him something in return. Some old box washed ashore. Yeah, came up like, oh, let's give this to the rabbi. Yeah, so they borrowed the rabbi. And really it turned out to be uh, this, this uh, box full of uh, valuables from the, from the sunken ship. Okay. You know, just to throw out an idea, the Gemara here says that the people on the boat, if you translate the words literally, it says that Kule Iska, all of the business, have a Machis Bugavza, was placed into this box. So apparently, like these people sold, they were merchants, and they sold items, and they were on their return, their return trip, and all the money was placed into this box. Afterwards, it all came together, and then it sunk. So all the earnings ultimately went to Rabbi Akiva. We find a similar idea in Mitzrayim. Mamish this week's Parshish, where Parshish by Yeshev, right? So Yeshev goes down to Mitzrayim, and Paro has the dream in Parshish Miketz, yeah? And next week's Parsha, and um, the seven skinny cows, the seven fat cows, Yosef interprets the dreams, and ultimately he... They figure out in Mitzrayim that there's going to be plenty and famine. And Yosef puts aside during the seven years of plenty, puts aside tons and tons and tons of grain. So that when there was a famine in the Middle East, all the countries had to come to Mitzrayim. And all of the wealth of the Middle East was transferred to Egypt because of Yosef's interpretation of the dreams. I believe it's the Maral asks, why was Mitzrayim Zocheh? To have the dreams for Yosef to interpret that they should become wealthy. It's an interesting Shiloh, right? Paro had these dreams, and because of these dreams, they, they understood that you better stock up, invest during the seven years of plenty, because during the famine, the, you know, the price is going to skyrocket. And now Mitzrayim is going to become a powerful and a wealthy superpower. Why Mitzrayim? Zakta Maral, because later the Yidin are going to leave Mitzrayim with all the wealth. You hear this? So he says, Hashem gave Paro the dream so that all the wealth of the entire Middle East will go to Mitzrayim so that when the Yidin leave, Hashem could fulfill His promise to Avram that your descendants will leave. So we didn't only leave with the wealth of Mitzrayim, we left with the wealth of the entire Middle East because of this dream. Similar to what is happening over here in the story of the Gemara. What happened is, Everybody else is out making business. They're out doing their deals. And then all the money comes together in one place. The Rabbi Shalom says, oh, good. All the money's here. Let me go and give it to the tzaddik. Fine. Also, umin mutronisa. Rabbi Kiva also became wealthy from mutronisa. Mutronisa is a noble woman. Okay. What was, uh, what was, uh, well, a noble woman, we'll explain that story in a moment. Umen Ishtai Shel Tornus Rufus, and also from the wife of Tornus Rufus, Umen Ketia Bar Shalom. 
and also from a person by the name of Ketia Bar Shalom. Now the Gemara itself, you know, in the first few, the Gemara lists exactly what happened. Over here, the Gemara does not list exactly what happens, but the Ran really kicks in for us and explains that by the, uh, by the case of a noble woman, there was a... Um, there was somebody, this lady lent money to Rabbi Akiva and she, uh, she wanted to make sure that's going to be paid back. Okay. And they, they made the, the, they made the ocean into the Arev, into the guarantor. Fine. And that was what they, uh, they agreed upon. Ultimately, Rabbi Akiva was sick. He didn't come and pay back. And the noble woman said, you know, hey, she went out to the water. She said, God of uh, Israel, I let, you know, Rebbe Kiva has to pay back, but he's sick. And therefore, you, Hashem, need to pay up. And what happened was that a chest full of, full of uh, valuables washed up ashore because at a different, uh, because what happened was the, the, one of the uh, daughters of Caesar was angry about something at one of her, she was a spoiled, rotten person, whatever, and one day she was like fed up with something, so to teach someone a lesson, she threw this box into the water, and that was the box that ended up uh, coming up right by this noble woman who needed, uh, who needed to be paid back. Okay, ultimately, interestingly, the Gemara, when bringing down the story, Rebbe Kiva later came back to pay up as well. And... Um, he wanted to pay her, and the woman said that um, I'm not taking any money from you. And actually, she tells him that the money that washed ashore was more than what you borrowed. And she gave him the Tisephus, the extra that washed ashore more than he was obligated to her. He, she, actually, uh, she actually gave back to him. Okay, fine. And the wife of Tornus Rufus. Um, also would pay him a lot of money when he explained various things about, uh, about the world to her. That was another way that it was uh, transferred to him. And Ketio Bar Shalom was um, an officer of Rome. And ultimately, there was a... Um, uh, a there's a whole story over here. <laughs> a whole mice over here where ultimately they... He ultimately was killed but he gave over his estate to Rabbi Akiva. He wanted Tzadikim to end up with his estate. He was killed by the Caesar, and he, he handed ultimately uh, all of it over. Okay, so Lemaisa, you find the Gemara is giving us six separate unique incidents where you, you'd say it's random, but obviously it's all part of the Rabbi Shalom's plan. There was a tremendous amount of wealth that after his Mesiras Nefesh, him and his wife, not just him, him and his wife, Mesiras Nefesh, the Bajlam took care of them. Rav Gamda, Havi Arbazuze, Lisfune, Viter, two dots, here we go. Second line from the top of Norma Bays. Rav Gamda gave four Zuz, Lisfune, to ship captains. Lasui, behind Midam. And he said, Give me something back. Layashko, they couldn't find anything. Isolate behind Kufa. And they gave him a monkey. They gave him a monkey. Ishtamit. Now, what happened was, it ran away. All Lecharsa, it went down. It went underground. Chafru Basre, and they tried digging after the monkey, Ashkechua Deravia Al Margalisa, and they found it sitting on Margalia, some precious gems. 
I seen on Leikulun, and they brought all of it to Rav Gamda, and he became wealthy that way as well. Okay. There was a daughter of a Caesar who said, She told him, you look ugly. Why does the Torah, this is a famous Gemara, that's such a beautiful Gemara. Why did Hashem give such a beautiful Torah to such an ugly person? So she wants to know. Okay? Omar Lo, says to her, Limdi mi beis avuch. I will teach you from something that happens in your father's own home. Again, she was the daughter of a Caesar. She says, let me ask you a question. Where do they keep wine? In simple pottery, in earthenware. Omerlei, he says to her, Oh, everybody else uses that. And you also do? Come on, earthenware is cheap. Let me tell you something. You know what you should do? Because you're so rich and so cool and you have everything. Go. You, you should really be aging your wine in gold and silver vats. What are you doing like everybody else? She says, oh, this rabbi's right. So she went and she took all her wine, she put in gold and silver vats. Visari, and it got ruined. Omar la. So he said to her, so too it is with Tyra. You hear this? The Tyra ages better in simple containers. It doesn't age well in fancy, schmancy, handsome containers. Says the Gemara of Aiko Shapiro Nugamir, and there's a lot of good looking people that know their beans, right? They also know a lot of Tyra. You could be handsome and know Tyra. Omar Law, he said to her, He have a snoo. If they would be ugly like me, have a Gemir and Tfei, they would know even more Tyra. It's true, people could have Tyra, but they would have even more when they don't have Tyra, if, if they wouldn't have such good looks. Okay. Now there's. Some beautiful messages to extrapolate from this. To put it simply, and this is, this is such a profound idea, such a profound idea, which is, there's part of it, I think on a simple level. There's a concept that Chazal teach us, which is, Mar the more possessions you have, Mar the more worry there is. In this statement of Mar Ben-Achos is not a negative thing. It's a reality. If you have something, you, it's on your mind. You need to be concerned about it. It's not, again, not negative. It's a truism. If you don't own a car, it's not necessarily good, but you don't need to worry about your car. If you own a car, you need to worry about your car. If you don't have a house, you don't need to worry about the leaky roof. If you have a house, you do. Now, you still want a house. You still want a place to live. But the reality is, when you have, call it a gift, when you have a reality, anything in existence, the more things on your mind, Rabbi Yeshua is telling her is, if somebody is handsome, if somebody has looks, you need to care for that. You need to care for that. It might take a minute of your day, it might take a second of your day, it might take none of your day, whatever it is. But there's only 24 hours in a day. And if Rabbi Yeshua is giving you, call it a gift, call it a, a metzias, a reality. 
I don't have anything. To, I'm, I'm not, he says, I'm ugly. I'm not good looking. The reason why he was ugly, he was incredibly, incredibly poor. He was, we're not saying like he had like crazy features. He was very poor. So he was very, the, the expression that Mepharsham used here, he was blackened. He was shriveled. He could tell, like he just didn't look healthy. That's what she was she's saying, you don't look healthy. And he was saying, the reason why I'm able to be so great and tired is because I'm not concerned at all about anything and any of the externals. Okay. There was somebody from Narda who came to Rav Yehuda for a din tira. And she was obligated in the bezin. So in other words, she lost the case. She came to Rav she lost the case. So she's upset. She said to Rav Yehuda, Would your Rebbe Shmuel give it, have given this psak? She said to her, Yadatlei. Uh, do you know my Rebbe Shmuel? Do you know him? Amr Layin. She said, yeah, I sure do. Gutsa veraba krise ukam veraba shine. Shmuel was Gutsa. He was small. He was short. Veraba krise. He had a big stomach. He had a big stomach. Ukam. He was dark. Veraba shine. And he had long teeth. What do they call him? Like buck teeth? Whatever. He had very long teeth. Omar La, so he says to her, you're talking about my Rebbe here, the Vazuye, you, to embarrass him, Kaasis, you're coming to do that? When I asked you if you know my Rebbe Shmuel, all you have to say is talk about that he was short, stout, big teeth. Like, what are you talking about? You belong in Kherim. You don't talk about somebody, a tzaddik like that. Paka Umesa, she she exploded, and uh, and Umesa and she passed away. Okay, the farshim here explain is that she refused to apologize for what she did, and ultimately this was uh, this was the consequence. Incredible. Okay, two dots. Back to our mission. Back to our mission again. We are uh, our mission was dealing with various expressions of Nadarim, of vows, if he says, I'm not going to eat from cooked food. So one of the things we said was, if he said, I'm not going to eat from things that are cooked, so umutur bebeitza tormita, you're allowed to eat a beitza tormita, before the, Rosh, the, the Mishnah didn't explain what it was, we actually did explain that it was this, this egg that's a specialty cooked. So the Gemara here is going to explain. Here we go. My beitza tormita, what exactly is a beitza tormita? What's so special about this egg? Amar Shmuel, Shmuel says, of the David le'shavei alfei dinari, this is, if, if you have an Eved who knows how to make such an egg, this is an, an Eved that's worth a thousand dinners. Meaning, this is a specialty that has, to be able to cook an egg like this, has incredible value. Why? What goes on? Listen to this. The, the way to cook this, the way to create this egg, this tor, tormisa, this tormita egg, you cook it a thousand times in hot water, and then you jump into the ice bath. And you put a thousand times into the ice water. Add until it gets so small, that you could, it could be swallowed. We'll use our, uh, our terms, okay? Like a pill. Like a pill. Get small enough to be able to just swallow straight down. Listen to this. And after you swallow the pill, 
if there is keva, if there is any sort of aching and illnesses inside the body, srich alei, it's going to attach itself to this little egg, v'kad nafka v'aisa, and then ultimately when the egg comes out of the body, they would take the egg, like we explained when we read the Mishnah, it was an egg, especially egg that was used to diagnose illnesses. They'd be able to see what's on the egg, this little shrunk thing, and they'd be able to see what's on it, and they would take it to the lab, or they, they would look at it, and they'd be able to see what's going on inside the body. Yoda asya masama And the doctor would know what medicine the person needs, and therefore had to heal the person. All right? Incredible. Shmuel would check himself with a, a uh, kolcha. Okay. Uh, what's a kolcha? A kolcha apparently is something that is, uh, a li- it's, does a similar job as the kormita egg, but it's made from a cabbage. Uh, and um, the, uh, <laughs> where the women of his house would like they would they would pull their hair out we would call it in our in our uh, society okay because they were they were like so upset that he would do this procedure on himself but it was a procedure that he wanted that you know he wanted to do it was apparently it wasn't an easy thing to do but it was a procedure that he wanted to do in order to know what illnesses uh, he had okay tanan hasam we learned in the mission elsewhere hayaisa beklufsin if somebody was working with klufsin, he, he cannot eat b'nais sheva. B'nais sheva, if let's say the person's working with b'nais sheva, these are d- different types of figs. So if he's working with klufsin figs, he should not eat b'nais sheva figs. If he's working with b'nais sheva figs, he should not eat klufsin figs. Okay, my klufsin, what are klufsin figs? Mina Dita'ini, it's a type of fig, the Avdin Minhain Lafte, that they would use specifically to cook dishes. What's going on over here? How'd this work? Hahu Gavra, there was a person, there was a guy, there was a fellow, the Yahiv Avda Lechavre, who sent his Ever to his friend, Lagmure Alpha Mine Lafte, so that he should learn how to cook a thousand different types of fig. Uh, a thousand different types of, of uh, a thousand different ways to use a fig, all right, in food. Agmare tamre meya, and his friend taught the Eved how to make eight hundred different types of foods from figs. Asmanale ledina kamei Rebbe. So the guy who owned the servant, you know, he sent him over. He apparently he paid for this, right? He paid for the the the, the friend to teach his servant a thousand ways. His servant came back and he was only learned 800 ways. So he took him to Bezdin, he took him to, to, to Rebbe. Um, and he wanted to Taina, to the other 200 ways. Um, Rebbe, Rebbe said, Our forefathers have taught us, our Chazal, our Nevi'im have taught us, uh, We have lost a lot of goodness. Onu afilu be'enenu le'ra'inu and us we don't even see the goodness that's right in front of us. Meaning, Rebbe was saying this is incredible. It's incredible. He was just musing. Forget the din Torah. 
forget the dentara. He was musing how much radchus, how much extravagance and extra Klal Yisrael had during this time. He was shocked. He was like, a thousand different ways to eat a fig? He sent him, and now you're coming back with, with 800 ways? You know, in Eicha, by the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, our forefathers said, we've forgotten everything good, and look what's happening over here. This is incredible. It's incredible <laughs> the, the, what we have. Sometimes you go to a Kiddush in a shul. You go to a party, like, why, like the different types of foods were in Gullus. We're in Gullus. We don't even have the goodness of, of, uh, of the, the Taiva that the Taira promises when we're, when we're even closer to the Bani Shalat. Okay. Rabbi Abad Lehi Lula, the Reb Shimon Bright. Rabbi made a wedding for his son, Reb Shimon, Kosav Al-Base Genana. And it was written on the base Genana, the, the wall of the Gan, of the garden outside. Esim Rabba Alfin Rivuin, Dinarim Nafku Al-Base Genana Dain. There were 240 million dinarim spent on this wedding. V'loi azmei le And Rebbe still did not invite Bar Kapara. Okay. Now what happened was, Rebbe made a chasna, he invited all of his friends, and for some reason the invitation didn't show up to Bar Kapara. So Bar Kapara was uh, upset by this. He says, 24 million dinner is spent and you couldn't afford another meal for me. Yeah? So Amar Lehi, he uh, you couldn't invite Bakabar Amarle. He said to him, if the Rabbanishalam gives he said to Rabbi, if Rabbi gives so much goodness to somebody who doesn't follow in his ways. Now what do you mean not follow his ways? You you heard another year, you heard my feelings. La How much more so if a, a person does the Ratzan Hashem, how much more so will he have? Azme, so Rebbe said to Bar you're right. You're, you're certainly invited. I apologize. Omar, and he said, Ooh, So now you're right. He accepted the apology. If somebody does this in Ailam Haza, so does the Ratzon Hashem, Ha'bala In other words, no matter what you look at, he, you could, there's always a different cook, a different approach. This, this mom is beautiful. Listen to what happened. Listen to what happened. Rebbe made an extravagant wedding. Rebbe was from the wealthiest people in the world. Okay? He forgot to invite Barkapara. Barkapara, who was a very close friend, wanted to give Rebbe Musser. And he did it actually, if you learn through him before, he did it in a very nice way. He basically came and told Rebbe, Where's the invitation? Yeah, you got to make sure to take care of everybody. You, can't, you know, it's, it's, you shouldn't be forgetting me. Yeah? And by transgressing the word of Hashem, you still have so much wealth, how much more so if you'd keep the word of Hashem. Rebbe says to Barakapora, I apologize, you're right. Please come in, come to the chasna. You're right, to bisgerecht. You're right, yeah, he accepted the Musr. So Barakapora, so to speak, puts his arm around Rebbe, and he says, Rebbe, psh, wow, now that I'm invited, so now your mamash did the right thing, Look at all the 24 million dinner. You know why the Rabbani Shalom gives you all this? Because you're a good man. Because you do the Ratzon Hashem. And if the Rabbani Shalom gives those who do his Ratzon in this world so much, how much more so is he going to take care of you and every true Ever Hashem in Eilam Haba? How much more there is. Yuma de Mechayich Bei Rebbe on a... If there was a day that Rebbe would laugh. 
Okay, the Rebbe would laugh. Now, what does it mean Rebbe would laugh? The Mepharshim say Rebbe was a leader of Klal Yisrael, and he constantly felt there, he was nice Balam Chavera, he would carry the burden. And if he ever even had, he was so much sorrow that he shouldered, if he even had the opportunity to smile, Asya Puranisa La'oma, there was Puranis that, uh, that came to the world. Why? It's incredible. Because, not his fault, Chas but Rebbe was constantly in such tefillah, davening on behalf of people and feeling their tsar, that it would lessen the amount of tsar that came to the world. That if Rebbe ever didn't feel the pain, there was more tsar that would come to the world. His mom is a fascinating idea. It's fa- very, very deep. Very, very uh, deep idea. I'll just share, pause here for a moment. Rav Matasio Solomon, Gesund, when he discusses tefillah, one of the approaches he takes to how tefillah works is he says when, uh, when a yid davens for another yid, not, not only is he helping him through the tefillah itself, but what you're doing is you're, the davener is connecting himself to the one he's davening for. And if the davener is not worthy of the tsar that the other guy's going through, if you feel the pain of another yid, Hebra, listen closely, if you feel the pain of another yid, and you don't deserve that pain, the Rebbein has to heal the other Yid. Because everything needs perfect symmetry. If I care about you, you care about me, and chas v'shalom, somebody, one of us, is, is not well, if the other person doesn't deserve the pain of their friend being not well, the other person will talk and be healed. Because not only is the one who's sick, it's everybody else who's impacted by that, by, by that illness. So he says, the fact that Rebbe shouldered the pain helped Tsar leave the world. He said to Barakapara, please don't be a badchen. Yeah? Don't, don't make me smile. If you don't make me smile, I will give you um, 40 grive um, is some sort of uh, volume, some measurement of wheat. He's basically telling Barakapara, make sure that I'm constantly able to shoulder the pain of Yidin. And he hired Barakapara to help him. Omar Lehi, Barakapara said, Lech Zaymar, my master, please see, top of, top of Dafnun Aleph, Techol Gariba Debeino Shekelna, that I'm going to take as much as I want. He says, I'll pay, he said, I'm taking as much as I want. Shokal Diluka Raba, he took a large uh, basket, Chafye Kufra, he coated it, with kufra, with pitch. This way none of the weak kernels could fall out. And he put it on his head. Okay? Put on his head. Now, why did he put on his head? As if nobody could see him now. And he went to Rebbe and he said, I want you to measure out the, um, the uh, amount of wheat that you promised to give me. Promised to give me. Okay. Achoch Rebbe. So Rebbe smiled. He thought it was, he thought it was uh, comical. Why? Because he's telling back a part that I don't owe you anything. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah? What, what, what is, you know, the basket's upside down. What am I, what is the pay? Right? You're walking around like with an empty basket on your head. What, what do you do? Right? What, what do you smile when you're like in wonder, when you're in shock, when something unexpected happened? Um, so Amar Le, Rebbe said to him, I asked you to be here to actually make sure I don't smile. I don't laugh. I shouldn't say don't smile. I don't know if Rebbe, I'm sure Rebbe smiled. 
The, the word I really should be, we, we really should be using here is laughing. Okay. Amalei Bakapara said, Chiti Darshina Ka Nesivna. Yeah? I'm, uh, I, what I'm really asking for is the meat, is the wheat, I'm sorry, is the wheat that you promised to give me. Okay? Fine. We'll hold it here. And Bezham tomorrow we will pick up from Amarla Barkapara. And we're going to go back and continue on this uh, incident that took place when Barkapara had tainas on Rebbe for not inviting him. And ultimately Rebbe did invite him. Barkapara gave him a bracha. And Bezham Hashem, we will get back to the uh, story of Barkapara at the chasna of Rebbe, of Rebbe HaKadosh's son. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening.